Hello and welcome to Dad Educates Daughter on 80s Music. This is Series 3, Episode 5. I'm Dad Russell and this is daughter Rebecca. Hello. Hello Dad, how are you? I'm, I'm good, yes. I'm not sure you're totally good after last week. Of course, I know the genre and what you don't like. Well, it's just not my type of music, is it? That's all we can say. But we know this. Yes. We know it's not me. Unfortunately, Um, rock was still a thing in the 80s. And we're now in the mid 80s. And these are probably the more fashionable group, the more mainstream groups. I'd heard of um, two of them. And I was surprised that I knew quite a few of the songs. Yeah. Like, you know, like a selection from a few. So it weren't that bad in listening because I recognised a few or knew a few or whatever. I mean, the songs were, um, quite a few of them were big, big charted songs. Mm. And probably still played on the radio today. Yeah. So shall we uh, just remind everyone and yourself who, who you had? Yes. In order. So you had Europe. Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses, Heart, Def Leppard, and Poison, which, as you say, are rock groups of some kind. My genre was easy to guess this week. Yes, it's just um, (laughs) the individual kinds of rock. Yes. It's a bit like, you know, pop with your synth pop, your sophisti pop. It's the same Mm. with rock. You've got your heavy metal rock, you've got your rock and roll, you've got your hard rock, you've got your arena rock, you've got glam rock. It's just just what they all come on. It's all just rock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so are you ready to talk music? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we'll start off with Europe. Yeah, so. Oh, oh, sorry. Just before you go on. Although. I haven't written it down, so we will find out as we go along. <laughs> <laughs> Hence, I almost forgot. But how many number ones? How um, I've gone for, let me just double check. Four. Four number ones? Mm. Well, that seems a bit high. That does seem uh, high. It might be a bit high. Um, I'd go with three. So I'm just now hurriedly checking how many there actually were and i'm still thinking one okay but i'm i might be wrong as i quickly hurry it's looking like i'm right though it's looking like just the one at the moment okay i don't know which one it would be because there's quite a few this week that are quite big songs Yes. I don't know whether they've just got big over time and that's why I know them or whether they were big to be a number one. Uh, that's why I've gone with quite a few. Because quite a few big ones. You had only one number one this week. So um, you said four. Who were your four? Just to see if the one that is a number one was amongst those four. Final Countdown. Okay. Dude looks like a lady. A sweet mm-hmm. child of mine. And I was stretching a bit with Paradise City. 
Wow, so you didn't even say knocking on heaven's door. Wow, wow, wow. No. Okay. Let's uh, find out then. So let's now talk music and let's yes. talk Europe as we were okay. about to. Yes. So I got into these a lot more than I thought I would. Um, you know, it was a good start to the week because I started with the final countdown and yeah. I knew that. And, you know, that was just it say it off good. I was like, OK, yep. Yeah. This is, this is not bad. Let's be optimistic about this week if I've got a song like this. The main lead vocalist has got a really good voice, you know. don't know who it is because I've never heard of Europe. And I don't know whether they lasted that long because I, I had uh, six songs, I think. And they didn't change much over that time. Like, they didn't get older. So... Either they were really into Botox or they just weren't, they didn't last long. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I think they're American. And I feel like, even though they didn't last long, I feel like they may have come back and they're still doing stuff now. Because there was something when I was watching videos, I can't remember what it was to make me think that they've come back because I already thought that they hadn't lasted. Um, but yes, I'm intrigued to see if they're still going in that sense. And one thing that I found this week, right, so I don't have to keep repeating it, is they all look the same this week. They're all long that hair, and perms, and like I don't know, like that just that, that classic rock style look that you'd get in your head. Yeah. And also, I've really thought about rock this week because that's been what I've had to listen to when i'm re-listening writing my notes and sitting back and doing it more in a chilled manner rather than just listening while driving i had a think and i'm like i feel like rock stars don't really do videos like not many of them this week have got videos like that no it's more live yeah yeah so but the nice thing about seeing a live performance you can see their passion um like as they jump around but what I also thought is I feel like rock stars have a lot of emotions to get through and don't know how to express themselves other than through music. And I feel that's why they come across as these mental, weird humans. And then their songs are always like, I feel like this week, the songs I've listened to, I'm like, oh, you've got a deeper meaning there. Or I might just be thinking too much about it. But yeah, I feel like, you know, like, rock stars are maybe misinterpreted in a way not that i'm ever going to be still listen i'm still not it's not put me into wanting to listen to rock but having a whole week of rock and i don't know because we've had rock weeks before but it just weren't the same i think weren't the same as in better because as i say these were more commercial rock groups Mm. They Maybe were more that's mainstream, that. whereas mm. previous ones, yeah, they they were more just rock, as in yeah, like yeah, the, the rock audience. So yes, they would have got there yeah. was some that got onto the charts, obviously. But I, I would say like everyone's heard of Guns and Roses. Everyone yeah. knew of the Final Countdown by um, Europe. Yeah, I'd say most people know of Def Leppard. You know, it's it's those sort of Aerosmith, obviously. So. Yeah, I would say they were more mainstream than 
previous mm. rock groups or hardly this kind of rock. Yeah, you know, like, and I think it changed because I knew quite a few of the songs as well. Yeah. So as I'm listening, I'm like, okay, I know you, so I'm not just sat there listening to rock like this is awful. Like, at least I could be like, I'm getting to a song that I know, or and there might be songs similar to this song. So maybe that's why it changed the way I listen a bit as yeah. well. So yeah, you could be right that they're more mainstream, hence why I know more of the songs. Okay. But yeah. Obviously so, their genre is rock, but I went for a slash of soft rock just to have a go okay. at the genre there. Right, well, if it helps you, there was no soft rock this week. Well, I thought Europe oh, would have softest rock. So, okay. so Europe are, not were, are, so they are still okay. going. I don't know if it's the same lineup, but they are still going. Okay. Um, Joey Tempest on vocals. John Naram on guitar, Mick Michaeli on keyboards, John Levan or Levan on bass, Ian Highland on drums. They were formed in 1979 Whoa. in Uplands, Vasby, Sweden. Oh, okay. They're not American. They're not American. That was something that I really thought. I've not written that made me think they were American. <laughs> but yeah. something made me think they were American. So they're, an, they're classed as an arena rock and blues rock group. Okay. So there you go. So after their formation in 1979 of frontman Joey Tempest, guitarist John Naram, bassist Peter Olsen, who I hadn't mentioned, and drummer Tony Reno, who again I hadn't mentioned in the actual lineup, um, they got their breakthrough in winning a Swedish TV competition, Rock oh. SM. So we're talking in the late 70s here, and we had a the equivalent of The Voice or um, like Pop Idol X or X Factor, yeah. In 1979 in Sweden. So they were ahead. You they can were see ahead why of their time. They were ahead of their time. And obviously, ABBA come from Sweden and they won the biggest ah. um, TV competition of all in Eurovision. So yeah. um, you, I don't know if ABBA, I, I think it was, I think, no, they won this the year it was formed. So whether it was, I'm trying to remember right. when ABBA won Eurovision. Um, because they obviously won it, I think, before the 80s. Well, they did, didn't they? They won yeah, it before the 80s. Yeah, they weren't as big so as the Whether 80s. Sweden done like a, a mini, Euro, you know, just like a national Eurovision on the back of ABBA winning. 1974. Say, so 1974, well, this happened in 1979. Yeah, so maybe they saw how well. And they won. It was so, and as I put, they were so, it's, it's classed as the Swedish Rock Championship. Okay. And it was the first time the competition was held and Europe became a larger success than the competition itself. Oh. So they went on wow. to bigger and better. It sounds like Rock SM didn't, didn't necessarily last much many more years. No, didn't hit on. Um, they were actually influenced by Deep Purple, who you've had, yeah. White Snake. Rainbow, Led Zeppelin, 
and Thin Lizzy. Oh, okay. So I think we've had all of those apart from probably Led Zeppelin, who who were a late 60s, 70s rock band. They were probably yeah, the first yeah. main rock band, actually, as in rock as we know it. Um, yeah. I'd be very surprised there was many rock bands before the 60s, you know. I mean, the Beatles are classed as rock, but they're not exactly they're not like these. these. Or maybe no. the Who. Maybe the Who, were, they're a big rock band, but they're more known for because they used to trash their um their their instruments up at the end and that's what made them like rock. And obviously we know Slade and Rock. Um but yeah. I think I think um Led Zeppelin were the first like going towards the well, heavy rock. So yeah. So Tony Reno the drummer he was fired in 1984 after their after two albums. Um by their producer Thomas Erdman, without him informing the band members. Oh, so they just got rid of him. Yes, and Reno was replaced by Ian Howland or Horland. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's H A U G H L A N D. So he was uh, he was replaced, and obviously Ian Holland did become one of the main main um, members. Um, and then Peter Olsen left the band in 1981 after the band had failed to gain a record deal. Um, after send it, oh. after they'd sent several demos to record companies, but were told to cut their hair and sing in Swedish. Cut their hair? What's that got to do with anything? Exactly. Um, so he obviously said, well, I'm not having this, and he left the band. Um, so, yeah, so... Uh, that then obviously brought in John the Ram and no, John the Ram. I'm trying to think what um basis, no, base John Levin, John Levin come in to replace Peter Olsen. So the band were originally called Force. Yeah, after Tempest Girlfriend had entered Force into the Rock Talent Contest, Rock SM. Mm. Um just before the competition, Tempest decided to change the name to Europe after the Deep Purple album made in Europe. So that's how big a okay. influence um, Deep Purple they were on them. Literally, their name mm. comes from an album from Deep Purple. Wow. So they won the competition against 4,000 yeah. other bands. Okay, I'm surprised that Sweden has. I didn't think Sweden could produce that many. So um, I'm guessing maybe bands from around the world may have mm. entered. I don't know how big it was. Oh, Fair mind, it was on TV. Um, and they entered with the songs In the Future to Come and The King Will Return. Um, and on the back of that, their reward for winning was a record deal with Hot Records. So. They got their record deal and they didn't have to cut their hair or um, sing in Swedish. Yeah. Luckily for us. Otherwise, the final countdown would not have been the same. Never been a thing. Um, Now, bearing in mind, Peter Olsen left the band in 1981. I'm guessing if I've got if I if my notes are all right, then Rock SM happened in the in the early 80s rather than i was going to say that like, it must yeah it must have been because yeah. if they got a record deal straight off it yeah 
it would have been so, and he'd awesome. left because they couldn't get a record deal mm. um so we're talking around eight, 1981 for that right yeah that makes um sense. So in 1985, Europe recorded the soundtrack of the film On the Loose, which gave them the hit Rock the Night. Okay. So you gave me Rock the Night after the final countdown. Yeah, because it was on the, on the film. It wasn't necessarily released. Oh, okay. And if it was released, it wasn't necessarily released wasn't... over here. Yeah. So they may well have released it after they had a yeah. big hit. Yeah. Um, so several months later, Tempest was asked to write a song for the charity project, Swedish Metal Aid. Um, and he wrote Give a Helping Hand with the proceeds of the single being donated to the starving people of Ethiopia. See, now everyone thinks about Band Aid and obviously the, the song that was going on in America. But they don't. Yeah. People, I mean, even myself, I didn't know about this. Um, yeah, we don't so, think about other countries, you know, really. Do no, you? exactly. Um, but obviously, yeah, it was happening. Other countries were getting involved, and Sweden ah. was one. And it was a Europe um, songwriter, Joey Tempest, the uh, the main the vocalist of. Um, He's got a really good voice of uh, Europe, who um, who wrote Sweden's song. Oh. So there you go. And they well, were they there was Sweden, over here. They were called Band Aid. In Sweden, yeah. they were called Metal Aid. Uh, okay. Sweden must like their rock, then. They must do. but Which is weird, because ABBA's not rock. No. Which is probably their biggest band. Yeah, to come out of there. So, yeah. Mm. But I know that um, from obviously being a ha, Norway are, like, big rock. Weird, because like so, you say, and obviously, um, oh, was oh. it fin Finland who won Eurovision with that heavy metal group? I think it was Finland, no, but they had those weird masks on. They would, mm. yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Finland. So obviously, yeah, Scandinavia like were really into their heavy into rock. Bits. Mm. Yeah. So in September 1985, the band were approached by an executive from Epic Records who are obviously a very big record company compared to um, this, uh, oh. I'm guessing, Swedish, or a very small record label anyway, um, called Hot mm. Records, who they obviously were with from winning yeah. SM. Um, so, yeah, so they were approached by an executive from Epic Records, who they signed for and started working on their third album uh, with, and their um, producer was um, Journey's producer, Kevin Elson. Um, oh. And the result was the album The Final Countdown, which gave the band its international breakthrough and was certified triple platinum in the US. And it reached number eight in the Billboard Top 2 or Hot 200 album chart. Mm. Um, and obviously, we know the title track. Uh, that was the first single that was released from the album and became yeah. a worldwide success, peaking mm -hmm. at number one in no less than 25 countries worldwide, including, including France, Spain and Germany. Okay. Um, the hit Rock the Night was in the yeah. top 10 in most European countries and power ballad Carrie peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. 
Um, and then Cherokee was the other single released from the album. And that, that year they were named Sweden's Best Group. Move over ABBA. So there you Get go. Then. Yeah. It's all about you. Well, it's, it's weird because I've never heard. I mean, it's another one of those weeks where I know a song, don't know who sung it. So obviously having the final countdown, I didn't know who sung the final countdown. And I've never heard of Europe. So like to hear like how big they are and like and that they're big in, I mean, yeah, okay, they're Sweden's biggest, but you know, they're not anything that they're not a name that has ever come out of my mouth or someone's mm. ever spoken to about them. So it's it's crazy to how big they are. Yeah. Quite. And considering I've only got six songs from them as well. Yes. Um so John Norham um he wasn't sat so obviously after they'd had the com so it's, we've said this before about how bands in the 80s didn't necessarily want commercial success because of the pitfalls it brought with it you know suddenly those the record producers offered more money but wanted certain songs from you they didn't want what you necessarily wanted um yeah. and they had more of a say of no we're going to release that song we prefer that song on the album rather than what you might have said yeah, she might yeah. Have and yeah. in effect you, your fans or your hardcore fans probably like the same music as you do but you're uh, now giving yeah. other you're giving it to the everyone to they prefer you to sing so and and this probably sums it up so john norham wasn't satisfied with the album's keyboard dominated production um and the band's commercial image um and he decided to lead the band leave the band in november 1986 so bear in mind they've they've just had a worldwide hit a massive mm. album that's had you know four top selling singles as i say including yeah. one that got to number one and probably made made you at what they were they've just been named their country's biggest group when you know we've got a, a world oh well, abba was coming to the end then but mm. you've got abba from that group who were the biggest thing on sliced bread um yeah. around the late 70s early 80s mm. and he's left it um to pursue a solar career and oh. then when he left he said that how he didn't really like the direction the band was going in saying we became this teeny bopper bubblegum band and i hated the whole image i was more into the heavier guitar oriented oriented sound yet the keyboards were taking over more and more as we became more commercial so i decided to leave so there you go fair enough though so after That's 10 yeah after 10 years of living recording and touring together europe decided to take a break at the end of their 1992 tour ah so i was right that they had like a little hiatus in a sense but i thought it was yeah. a lot earlier so yeah 1992 i think it was a, I, I just think they they never hit the peak after the final countdown both song and obviously yeah. album um mm. and that's why you know obviously yeah they've lost a member as well and um just need to kind of go out and rethink. And, yeah, they, they've, you know, gone on. So for the 2000 Millennium celebrations, Europe were asked to do a concert in Stockholm on New Year's Eve 1999, of which John Norham agreed to play along with. 
Key, Key Michello. I've written down. Yeah, Key is K E Michello, who had replaced him. So now they've got two guitarists in the group. Mm, so right. they've got the original and the one that replaced yeah. him. Because he and obviously the other one's come back. Mm-hmm. So um, and they uh, they played "Rock the Night" and "The Final Countdown." So you can mm-hmm. see that that is the two songs yeah, that are really, you know, everyone relates to Europe about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in two thousand and three, so you know what, eleven years after they originally not as such broke up, but took a break, a hiatus, as we yeah. often say. Um, it was officially announced that Europe were planning to record a new album and do a world tour. What year is um, this? This is now 2003. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, with the band switching back to its final countdown lineup, with Norum as the lead guitarist, mm. um, with Tempest saying, there was no doubt we wanted John Norum back and John wanted to come back. Um, to which Key Marcello, who was the one who'd been brought in to replace him, um, although he didn't really do much with them anyway, because I suppose yeah. when you're out touring, everyone's wanting you to do Final Countdown and um, yeah, so you weren't the Night, which were John with John Norham. Yeah. So he and then obviously they broke up not long after that as well. Uh, so, but Key Marcello, he claimed that he was too busy with his own projects. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Did um, he ever? Did he ever? Is he the one that went off? Who went no. off to do solo? John Norman. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did he never did anything? Really? No, not really. And I don't think Key Marcello really did. They and he may well have had a really good career back at back in Sweden. You don't know. Mm, that's um, true. But doesn't um, necessarily be over here, does it? I don't know um, whether he. Uh, right. Done any, you know, he certainly didn't do anything as far as, as we go. So they yeah. are, as you, so just to answer your question, since 2003, they are still all together, even okay. though they're probably now in their late 50s, early 60s, I'd say, or yeah. even mid 60s. That's not bad going. We've had a lot older people still. Yeah. Get well, out Rolling Stones are still going, and they're from, you know, and Paul McCartney, obviously. Oh, well, yeah. And he's right. in his 80s. So, yeah. So they had two top 20 singles as far as the UK went. Right. One top 10 album, which was 1986, The Final Countdown, which got to number nine over here. Not bad. So no. So they're songs. Mm-hmm. 1986, The Final Countdown, got to number one in 25 countries worldwide. One of them was us. And in England. Can be the only number one. UK, should I say, sorry. It only got to number two. Oh, did it? No, it got to number one. Oh. <laughs> that was my number one over and out. Done. That's it. First song, and that's your number one. Uh, Rock the Night was released in 1987 over here, even though, as you rightly say, it had already been out mm. before... Uh, the final countdown. I think it was the final countdown that then, I don't know if it was released in Sweden already. Yeah. um, But obviously on the back of the final countdown, rightly so, you're going to then suddenly push your other songs. And Walk the Night got to number 12. Oh, that's not bad. It was quite a catchy song. But there was a, like, it it was nearly my favourite. 
Uh-huh. But there was a guitar solo that ruined it for me. So oh, okay. we all know how I feel about that. But it is a good song, I must admit. The guitarists must be pleased for you. Well, they do what they do. Yeah. I just don't like guitar. I just don't like guitar solos. I just don't see the point. I mean, they could obviously then show their talent. I get, I get the point. It just, I don't do instrumental stuff. Okay. Um, staying in 1987 and Carrie, that got to number 22. Mm, Carrie is my favourite that I had from these. Oh. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously you've got the final countdown, but we we know that yeah, I won't yeah. pick songs that I know. Um, and I've just said Rock the Night was nearly my favourite. But Carrie, I don't know. It was, I think I really like his voice because he had a really nice voice. And in Carrie, it was like more stripped back, focus on the vocals, and it was that power ballad. I like a power ballad. I think, I think that's, if all rock could just be power ballads, I'd be into it. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed Carrie. Okay. Um, 1988, Superstitious. That got to number 34. Ooh, okay. I quite like the lyrics of this one. And again, he's got such a good voice. So yeah. that was... A nice thing to listen to over the actual music. Okay. <clears throat> 1992, I'll okay. apply for you. Yeah. To number 28. That's not bad. This is another power ballad, I'd say. And it just makes you want to sing your heart out. Just, I don't know. It really gets your attention. That's okay. a good one. And then also in 1992, Halfway to Heaven, which was their last hit in the UK. Um, wow. And it wasn't really a hit because it got to number 42 just outside. Okay. I could have done without that one. That one was uh-huh. like a background song. It lost the power. Well, they obviously had lost their spark um, by yeah. then. Um, and I guess if they'd gone mainstream, maybe they didn't like what was being produced. But I don't know. Yeah, there was just the power and the beat compared to the others was just a bit off. Yeah. Okay, so um, when you think that probably from Superstitious, that was without John Norum, that was with Key Marcello as uh-huh. the guitarist. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't really notice a change apart from getting to halfway to heaven. Uh huh. Okay, so as we move on to Aerosmith, yes, now obviously you had heard of Aerosmith uh-huh. because we've yeah. mentioned them with another group. Yes, we have, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But I will admit these weren't as bad as what I had in my head. So I hear Aerosmith and I thought heavy metal, I thought, you know, hard rock. Uh Although they're not as bad as I thought they were in my head, there is still a lot of noise for the ears. Um, And they go from their mellow ones and then they do a bit of screaming. And I don't do screamo. And I don't know if I'm coming or going, like, to each song. I'm like, okay, is this going to be like a karma song? Is it going to be in the ears, like, really loud? I don't know. But then they get a bit weird towards the end as well. And I had a lot of songs for them as well. And I don't know what I mean by weird, but there's just a couple of songs where I'm like, mm, you could have toned that down. Um, the vocalist, right, watching videos, he looks a bit like Ben Stiller. All right. 
Yeah, but with long hair. Again, they've got that classic rock star look. But yeah, he's got long hair. A really big mouth. Like, it takes up most of his face. Um, again, mostly live performances. And yeah, so this is what I mean by they can be a bit weird. In some of their videos, I've noted down some of the things. So like living on the edge, they play around with makeup and they do it very well. Um, falling in love is just a weird video. Um, I don't know, like it just looks... It's just how it's all put together. And they use this woman, I'm sure it's like the same girl in most of their videos. Um, and then the other side, they've got them pretending to be dolls and being put together for a performance. It's, dad, it's weird. Like, I didn't need that. It was a bit traumatizing. But yeah, I don't know, I just saw a bit of a different side. But like I say, they weren't as bad as I had in my head. And again, I recognize some of their songs. Was it just one? Might have been just one. No, two of their songs I recognized. Uh-huh. So it was nice to have those and break it up a bit. So can you remember what you recognised? Uh, dude looks like a lady. Right. And I don't want to miss a thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, it could have been worse. Okay, so Aerosmith were Steve Tyler on vocals, Tom Hamilton on bass, Joey Kramer on drums, Joe Perry on guitar, or lead guitar, and Brad oh. Whitford on rhythm guitars. I had two guitarists. Okay. Um, Jimmy Crespo was the lead, original lead guitarist. Um, he was with the band from 1979 to 1984. And Rich Duffy was the rhythm guitarist between 81 to 84. But the main two were Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. So they were four. Oh, did, did you say where you think they're from? No. I only thought about where Europe was from because something told me that it was America. Right. Um, okay. Aerosmith. Oh, I wouldn't know. And you've put me, you've, you've like put me off. Like, I don't know, with Europe being from Sweden, it's like, oh, God knows. I just assumed rock people came from America. Yeah, well, there you go. You've got another band later on that aren't American. Okay, so are these American? These are American. They're from Boston, no. Massachusetts. Not Boston, okay. Lincolnshire, but Boston, Massachusetts. In the right. And they are a hard rock, blues rock, rock and roll group. Now, I'm not sure okay, yeah. more, but there we go. No, but definitely the hard rock. I mean, I don't really know the difference of blues rock. No, I don't. But Europe yeah. classes blues rock as well. So. Yeah, but then so, Europe yeah. and these, I wouldn't say, sound similar. No, no. So, yeah. So, um, Aerosmith were actually formed from two bands. Oh, right. Forces, as Tyler was in Chain Reaction, um, right. like the sound of Jam Band, um, when they played at the same gig. 
So Joe Perry and Tom Hamilton were in jam band, um, while Steve T Tyler, Joey Camp, Crammer and Ray Tabano, um, they were in chain reaction. Now, Tabano left Aerosmith in 1971 to be replaced by Brad Whitford. Um, and they were influenced by, now you might be in, surprised at this, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and Led Zeppelin. Oh, so they're similar to Europe then? Yeah, yeah, with Led Zeppelin and the Blues Rock. So, yeah. Um, the band have had many multi-platinum albums, including their 1975 debut album, the self-titled Aerosmith. Right. And their follow-up, Get Your Wings, in 1974. Sorry, their, their debut album was 1973. It's my writing, but like five. It's 1973. Mm -hmm. I just 74. How can 1974 be their second album if their debut was 1975? Um, no, 1973 was their debut album, Aerosmith. And yeah. then Get Your Wings was 1974. Uh, the band actually broke into the mainstream with their third album, Toys in the Attic. Um which got to number 75 on the um, top Billboard's 200 um, album chart. Right. Um, and their fourth album, Rocks, which got to number 76 on the Billboard top Hot 200 album chart, which doesn't seem... That, you know, oh, it got to number 75 or number 76. Over here, that doesn't feel like a bit, it's, but it's a bit. A in, lot, as I say, it? it's top 200, and they're inside the top 100. Yeah. So it is, it is big. It's different in America. So, yeah, Cause, just because of the size of it. And as we've said mm. before, you've got different genres in different states. Um, however, by the end of the decade, as in the 1970s, um, after two top 10 hits, Dream On, which got to number six on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1976, and Walk This Way, which got to number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1977. Um, they uh, were among the most popular hard rock bands in the world. I mean, that makes sense because, like, if I know them, Obviously, I don't really know. I didn't know that they sung the two songs that I recognised, but like I'd heard of them. So they were obviously like well-known to have their name around. I would say they were probably more this. bigger known in America still than they were. Yeah, probably. But we've, oh, we've yeah. established, Brit like, in UK don't really do rock. No. It, UK and the rock is more like, not underground, but it's more specific to... If you do, if you've grown up with it, or if that's what you're into, you go out and find it. It's not really given to you like other um, genres. So I can see why they're bigger in America. Also, yes. that's where they're from. Yeah. So we we didn't really know them yet. They we we hadn't really no. come across Emma Smith as far as the mm -hmm. UK went. Um, so. They developed a hardcore following of fans called the Blue Army. Sounds oh. like a, a football. Yeah, um, that doesn't sound like a... Um, yeah. So success led, unfortunately, to drug addiction, 
as you know, you get money and suddenly you get hanger-ons and what have you. Everyone wants to be your mm -hmm. mate. Um, and internal confliction leading to the departure of both Perry and Whitford in 79 and 81, which um, saw the new lineup with Jimmy Crespo and Rick Dufay, which is what I mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, however, their, um, their output didn't fare well, and their seventh album, Walk in a Hard Place, got to number 82, which is still considerably good, as we've just pointed yeah. out, but obviously... They're getting they're big. They're a bigger band now, but their charting is getting worse. So they're going the wrong way. If you had a graph, their success has gone up, but their chart position has gone down because they've gone from like in the seventies. Now we've got in the eight. Now we're eighty-two. Yet their 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 um, popularity is is obviously much bigger. So you'd yeah. expect then that. If you've got more fans, that's more fans buying more albums, but it didn't mm. happen. Um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so it failed to reach the previous successes. And what I've done is I've just written down their albums because obviously these albums weren't in or they certainly didn't chart in the UK. So we're talking when I when I tell you where they've charted, we're talking the US Billboard right. Hot 200 album chart rather than right, the okay, UK album UK. chart. So really 19, yeah, so their debut album, as I said, 1973, Aerosmith, that got to mm. number 21, which is for your first album. Wow, yeah, that's lovely. Just outside the top 20, you know, is, is good. Mm. I mean, in, even in the UK, that would, that, you know, the top 20 is something. That's, but in mm. when you're talking about the top 200, then obviously the top 20 is, is mm. definitely something. 1974, Get Your Wings got to number 74. 1975, Toys in the Attic got to number 11. Yeah. 1976, Rocks got to number three. Yeah. 1977, Draw the Line got to number 11. 1979, Night in the Ruts got to number 14. And then... 1982, which is now with the new lineup, yeah, in a hard place, got to number 32. So okay. you can see that since 1975 with Toys in the Attic, they've pretty much been inside the top 20, and now they're outside the top 30. And this is still in America, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. So Perry and Whitford returned to the band in 1984 and following mm -hmm. a comeback tour, an eighth studio, out, studio album done with Mirrors in 1985, um, mm -hmm. that got to number 36. So okay, it's still so not as good because obviously walking a hard place. So you've changed the lineup from what was inside the top 20 and you had a number yeah. three and just outside the top 10 with a couple of number 11s. You change the lineup and you get a number 32. You go back to your original lineup and you then come out with an album that's number 36. So most people are probably. But it might not be the. If finished. Yeah, I was going to say, they can't be blaming the lineup now, can no. they? Um, so then so it was released so as i say done with mirrors 1985 it was released but you know only got to number 36 and nothing really had changed so people are now thinking is it the actual lineup or is it the actual music um so it failed to meet the commercial expectations 
Um, and pretty much, I suppose, questions are being asked, I suppose, at higher, like the record, the companies and what have you. Yeah. However, all was to change in 1986 when a okay. collaboration with Run DMC on a, yeah. remake, on a remake of the 19... What did I say? 77? Yeah, 1977 song, um, Walk This Way, mm. and the ninth album, Permanent Vacation, which went multi-platinum in 1987, oh, wow. so reaching number up. 11 in the Billboard 200 album chart. Okay. So, from DMC who I guess were influenced a bit by Aerosmith. They obviously looked up to them, I'm guessing. Or they yeah, did a song with them. Um, they, re, they remixed it. They re-collaborated, you know, redone it. Um, re-released it, and it was it was a hit. Um, and that is the song that got them noticed over in the UK. Hey, and obviously um, we've already done Run DMC, so I've listened to that, haven't I? So then in 19... 98 they achieved their number one u.s billboard hot 100 single with i don't want to miss a thing okay so yes like so that. bear in mind they've um been around since the 70s they've had they didn't you know, get their number one until it wasn't until 1998 they got their number one and that was from the film Armageddon's soundtrack. Oh, is that from the film? Yes. Well, the, I don't know if it's actually really? in the film because it said soundtrack. Oh, okay, so, so it's used somehow, but maybe just a snippet, maybe. not like the whole debate. Oh, yeah. Now, they had already had a number one. Okay. But just not um, any US billboard. They love right. in 1989. They got their first number one when Love in an Elevator reached number one in the US rock charts. Following okay. Forget that the US do stuff like that. Yeah. Following the previous year's 1988 single Angel, which reached mm -hmm. number two in the US rock chart. Right. Okay. Okay. So yeah. they had done well in, 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 the, in the rock charts, but not in the mainstream chart. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, however, in the UK, um, Angel failed to break into the top 50. Oh. So there you go. So okay. Aerosmith are the best-selling American hard rock band of all time. Selling mm. 150 million records worldwide. Wow, are they still going? Um, that is a very good question. I would, oh, I wouldn't even like to have a guess on that. Um, I want to say they are, but I don't know. And that no. they, um, they are still going, they are. They, have never stopped so 1970 till present it says okay, so there we go. So they've never, never had, had a hiatus no wow yeah okay um so in total aerosmith have released 15 studio albums uh from debut album aerosmith in 1973 to 2012's 
Music from Another Dimension, which reached number five on the Billboard Top 200 album chart. We're talking like 2012, mm. and they're still That's a top recent. five selling album band. But it's easier in America, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like it is, but it isn't. However, that album, bear in mind, we're talking, you know, 2012. That's not that long ago. Ten years ago. I mean, ten years ago. So, um, bear in mind, we're talking 40 years from their, al- their debut album. Yeah. They're yeah. not only getting to number five on the Billboard Top 200 chart, they got to number one with it on the Top Rock album chart. So they're still getting hit. And hence why they're the biggest rock band of all time. Uh, or best-selling rock band, or American hard rock band mm. at the time. They were inducted into the Rock and rock Roll, and roll. In, in 2001. So, as far as the UK go, yeah, they have had eight top 20 singles, six top 10 albums, um, okay. And those albums were, now bear in mind, we are talking after Walk This Way. We hadn't really known about them before that Run DMC collaboration, that remake of their 1977 hit, which probably people over here didn't realise was actually a remake. I'll be honest, I didn't until I, I looked at this. It is their song. They wrote it. Yeah. It was in remixed re you know republished uh produced right. um by run dmc so that will be why it's run dmc's song in a sense yeah but, well it's yeah they've done their own production of it i mean i don't know what yeah. the original sounded like so yeah they've done their own production of which obviously aerosmith have agreed to whether they had much to do with it, I don't know. But obviously, they were the Aerosmith are included on it because they were the writers of the song. Yeah, but if I remember rightly, when we did Run DMC, and I had this song, they were in like Aerosmith were in the video, so they had some part in it all. And I can't remember whether any of the songs sounded different to Aerosmith singing in it. But they obviously oh. definitely had something to do with it, bar it being their song to begin with. They were still involved with yeah. the making of it and everything, I'd say. Yeah, which I think is a good thing, um, which yeah. is why it makes me wonder with that one um, DMC obviously held Aerosmith in high esteem. Mm. You'd like you'd like to think. Yeah. Bear in mind how big Aerosmith are. There's, it could, you know, as I say, there is every chance that um, they were a big influence on One DMC anyway. Well, they must have been for them to be doing a song. Yeah. Okay. So you had quite a few songs from Aerosmith, even. Well, I, say I a few. did. Bear in mind, we've only touched. We, we we're starting. You know, whatever album. Pump it up. We know that one, two, three, four, five, six. We've had seven albums before Pump, and there, I don't know if there was any in between as well, because we're talking 1989. Okay. With that. Oh, yeah, because I would have been given like the 80s songs. Yeah. 
well, they weren't even known over here before. Yeah, they hadn't charted oh. over here before yeah. the Run DMC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, eight top 20 singles in the UK. Yeah. Six top 10 albums. Mm-hmm. And those albums were 1989, Pump, number three. Oh, okay. So, it is like top. Nineteen. 19- 93, Get a mm. Grip, number two. Oh, wow. 1994, Big Ones, number seven. Okay. 1997, Nine Lives, number four. 2001, Just Push Play, number seven. And 2002, Oh, yeah, Ultimate Hits, which is obviously a best-of compilation, number six. So that, you know, they, they were big even over here, but they were big after Run DMC had, had brought them to the attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which now brings us to the singles. Mm-hmm. So 1986, Walk This Way, which was originally released in America in 1977. Oh, wow. So it did take a while. Yeah. So a collaboration with Run DMC. Um, however, it was written by Aerosmith or Steve Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got to number eight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 1987, Dude Looks Like a Lady. That got to number 45. Oh, wow. Now, that featured in Mrs. Doubtfire. So I wonder well, whether that... That then was re-released in 1990. Yeah. And got to number 20. Okay. So not... I don't know when Mrs. Doubtfire film was, but... It was the 90s. So was it re-released on the back of that film? I don't know, but they had a re-release of it, got to number 20, which was... 1993. Right. So so it's not on the back of that. Um, I have written down the next one, just because I've already mentioned it. 1988, Angel, mm-hmm. which got to number two in the US, Rock Chart. Only got to number 69 over here. Okay, well, it weren't bad. It was just their first power ballad. There was nothing amazing about it. Yeah. 1989, Love in an Elevator, which obviously I have already spoke about um it did really well in a, in america getting to number one in the rock charts over yeah. here it got to number 13 so outside the top 10 okay well it weren't for me there was too much no. streaming i was like calm down not for me at all okay. and also have you missed out ragdoll 1990 ragdoll Oh, okay. Number 42. You're joking? No. That was my favourite one. Well, there you go. See, just as well I gave you it. Yeah. It got to number 17 in America, but over here, didn't do that well. It's catchy. Chorus is the best part about it, but I do like the rest of it. So that was my favourite out of all of theirs. Bar the two that I knew, but yeah. Yeah. Now, I also gave you what it takes. Right. Or did I? I've written it down. Yeah, you did. 
yeah it didn't chart in the uk however in america it got into it got into the top 10 on the billboard top hot 100 at number nine and it got to number one on the u.s rock chart oh okay well i like uh, it was nice it was mellowed down compared to the others you could really hear the passion so no, it was like different, so maybe that's mm-hmm. why I didn't chart here for the people. It might not even been released over. Might, I was gonna say it might not. You do released. sometimes find that they're they're released five tracks off an album, and then um, only one in over in wet. You know, it's the same over here. They probably yeah. release four or five on an album over here, but they may only release one or two. Yeah, in, overseas. Um, and that's much the same. Same for the next one number. So nineteen nineties, the other side. It only charted at number 46 over here, so outside the top 40. However, it got to number 22 on the US Hot Billboard 100, and it got to number one on the US Rock Chart. Okay. Well, that was a different sound in one, different instruments. It was more upbeat, not as harsh. Um, And you heard more from backup singers. I just don't know what they're singing, not going to lie. Right. 1993, Living on the Edge. Got to number 19. Okay, that's not bad. It's a quiet song, and then right. when it gets to the chorus, it changes up. So that's the only right. bit that I liked, really, but, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, 1993, Eat the Rich, number 34. Okay. It starts off with this little rap thing that I liked, and then it's just a lot of loud instruments. It's just not me at all. Like, that's just rock in my face, and that's not okay. Okay. 1993 still, crying, number 17. Okay. I feel like this is quite a sad song, you know, and it's, but it's very up and down with the loudness of it. One minute it's nice and quiet, and I can get, I can gel with it. Next minute it's up, and I'm like, too much. But the chorus is nice. But like I said, I just feel like it tell like the video tells a story, and I feel like it's quite sad. It's like a breakup song, I think. Okay. Moving into 1994. Now, this is a weird one, because it was only released in the UK. Well, oh, okay. in the UK. So, Shut Up and Dance, number 24. Okay, well, all I've written for that one was awful. Oh. Didn't enjoy it at all. No? No. It was awful. Maybe that's why it didn't chart in the US. It's weird that it charted over here. Very weird. And it got to number 24. Yeah. That's not bad charting. No. Um, Also in 1994. Now, I couldn't work this one out, if I'm really honest. I don't know whether it... it's showing it as two songs, but the one I gave you is didn't do as well as the other one. So it must have been a double A. Right. So it's Blind Man and Crazy. Okay. Now, Crazy, it got to number 23 in the UK chart. Right. Of which I gave you Blind Man. Yeah. However, in the US, they both charted separately. Oh, okay. So it was, it was released as a double A over here. But and in the US. They were really, now, I gave you Blind Man as the song because that was what was listed first. However, in the US, Crazy got to number 17 in the US Billboard. 
However, it only got to number seven on the US rock chart. Right, okay. So so that it, did mind, the, it did better on the rock chart than the billboard. Yeah, but yeah, what I'm right. saying is hold your hold that thought. Oh, okay. 17 yeah, yeah. and number seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blind Man got to number 48 on the US billboard, yes. but number three on the rock chart. So you one? work that one out. And over here, yeah. it was a double A. But I only gave you Blind Man thinking that that was the main No, song. I got crazy as well. Oh, oh, yeah, I gave you both, did I? Yeah, you gave me both. Oh, right, okay. Sorry, I thought I'd, I'd listen to both. Right, okay. now I've, listened, I've listened to both. So which the would you say was the best? Crazy. That was mellowed oh. and a nice love song. Blind oh. Man was very shouty. And I was like, you don't need to be this harsh. Which may be why... Blind Man done better in the rock the chart, rock, but than not crazy. in the mainstream. Whereas yeah, in the maybe. mainstream chart, it was crazy, which yeah. probably does coincide with what you've just said. So. Yeah, I definitely prefer crazy. 1997, Falling in Love is Hard on the Knees. That got to number two. Oh, God, no. No, it's too much noise. It is just like noise. Not a, not a fan at all. Okay. 1997, Hole in My Soul, number 29. Oh, this is another sad one that could be a breakup song. There's another power ballad as well. Weren't that bad? Okay. Can I, can I just go back? It's my fault. Falling mm. in Love is Hard on the Knees. Yeah. Number 22. I'd missed oh, off two. God. I just looked and I thought, how did that do so well all of a sudden? It's not. It's 22, oh, not two. I'm not doing very good that. this week, am I? I really am. Oh. My research has um, not been written down as well as... Um, what do you need your glasses on, Dad? Yeah, I think I do. Um, so apologies on that. It's uh, number 22, which probably right. coincides more with what That's you... so uh, much better. Told. Yes. <laughs> 1997, Pink. Number 38. Oh, I think this should have done better. It, but it's a song and it includes everyone. Uh -huh. Like, it's about loving everyone. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's just beautiful. And the video just shows everyone, like, of different ages, different races, different um, genders, like, everything. It's beautiful. And, there's a, and it's a, there's a little change in the sound, so it's less of a rock song as well, I think. Uh -huh. Which maybe why it charted so little, but yeah, I don't know. But well, it, it got it, to number yeah, one on the US rock chart. No, I don't think it's that rocky. And it got to number twenty-seven on the US Billboard. All right, I'll take that. It was re-released over here in nineteen ninety-nine, so two years or at least. Um, yeah, around two years. Later. Around two years, yeah. It got to number thirteen on the re-release, which is okay, a bit different to number thirty-eight in ninety-seven. Definitely, but I'll take that. Because it is a beautiful song. So now we move on to 1998. And we know that this was their big hit in America. It got to number yeah. one on the US Billboard chart. Yeah. What did you think of I Don't Want to Miss a Thing? Well, I didn't know it was sung by these. It's a power ballad. I love it. I, oh, it's just a lovely song. It's a classic, I think. It's well known. There, there wasn't much criticising that I could do on it. Not going to lie. Uh -huh. So it's from the film Armageddon. It wasn't actually written by them, though. It was written by the uh, 
the, the well-known songwriter Diane Warren. She's often on X Factor. She's a friend of Simon Cowell's, obviously, in the music business. She was the actual right. songwriter, and it was performed, I suppose, by Aerosmith rather than, obviously, written by them, um, which is probably why it's more power a ballad than, than what we're used to from Aerosmith, I suppose, if, if we're mm -hmm. honest. It got to number four over here. Okay, that's good. I like that. I'll take mm -hmm. that. 2001 we're going into now with Jaded. And that right, got to number okay. 13. Not bad. It's just very the same tempo throughout. There's no, like, difference. And I've said this before. I feel like there needs to be a difference when you get to, like, the chorus compared to the rest of the verses. So that was a meh song. Now, as far as America goes, bear in mind, obviously, they've known about Aerosmith since the 70s. Mm. Jaded charted at number seven in the US Hot 100 chart. Wow. And okay. it got to number one on the rock chart. So right for them, I just didn't think it was that great of a song. So there we go. That was Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. As we move on now to probably the... I would say the best known rock band of the 80s. Okay. Guns and Roses. Yeah. Mm. They like their long intros, but they are a lot calmer compared to like some of the other bands I have this week. The vocalist has quite a distinct voice. It's like it's high pitched, but it's not. I don't know how to explain it. Uh -huh. Um but it was quite nice to listen to him sing. Again, they've got that rock star look and a lot of live performances for their videos. But yeah, there weren't much. I mean, I had quite a lot of songs for them, but there weren't much to say because without giving away what I thought of the songs. Um, and obviously, like I say, they've all, they all like have got that rock star look. So they all pretty much look the same this week. Okay. So Guns N' Roses. I was going to say were, but I'm just checking that they are. Yes, they are still going. So they are. Oh, are they? They are. Okay. What they were. Um, so right. Guns and Roses are Axl Rose on vocals. Right. Duff McKagan on bass. Slash mm -hmm. on guitars. Steve Adler on drums. And Jeffrey Isbell, also known as Izzy Stradin, on guitar. Um, okay. Now, the original bassist and founder, Oli Beish, Beish, B E I C H, he mm. was fired in 1985, uh, while lead guitarist Tracy Guns and drummer Rob Gardner both left following a tour in which McKagan replaced Beish, um, and it was evidently dubbed the Hell Tour. So there was obviously a lot of infighting. Now, there's a reason for it, which I will go into in a minute. Mm. Um, while you can see that why there was probably um, infighting and the ones in, as I say, why those two probably were more on Bates's side than the others. Okay. okay? You'll find yeah. that out. So okay. they were formed in 1985. Any okay. idea they are? For where the forms just saying? I want to say they're British, but I don't know. They were formed in 1985 in Los Angeles, okay. California. 
They're American. And they are quite simply a hard rock band. Nothing yeah. else. Okay, I like it when it's that simple. Yeah. So Guns N' Roses gets their name from the two groups that merge together. Okay, go on. So I didn't know this, which is quite interesting. Hollywood Rose, which had mm -hmm. Axl Rose and Izzy Stradin, um, merged with L.A. Guns, which had Tracy Guns, Ollie Bache and Rob Gardner, which now you can see why ah. Tracy Guns and Rob Gardner were on Ollie Bache's side because they were all in a band together okay. originally. Oh. Yeah, now, yeah. you'd like to think that as there's an Axl Rose, that Hollywood Rose, that comes from Axl Rose. And LA Guns with a Tracy Guns is probably oh. where they got theirs. And then Guns and Roses is obviously those two. Oh, the two groups. So, yeah. Um, now, Rob Gardner was even a backup drummer for Hollywood Rose. So he was a link between both already anyway. Right, okay. So he was, he was actually in LA Guns, but he was a backup um, drummer for Hollywood Rose. And then obviously become Guns and Roses drummer. Right. Um, yeah. Now, Slash, Adler and McKagan all joined the group from another group called Road Crew, replacing the L.A. Guns members. So Ollie okay. Beach got sacked right. and the other two, Tracy Guns and Rob Gardner, they left following the tour that was dubbed the Hell Tour because I can only guess that there was two groups they'd merged together but they obviously went on, on and they were still in a sentence two individual groups yeah I say they the la guns have now gone even though guns and roses still has the la guns part of the name the actual la guns part are no longer in the group we have a totally right. new crew from a group called road crew so now we've got Road Crew and Hollywood Rose who have merged together in a sense, okay. <laughs> rather than Hollywood oh Rose gosh. and the LA Guns. So this very, so very confusing. But yeah, so Guns and Roses are Axel Rose, Duff McKagan, Slash, Steve Adler, and Jeffrey Isbell, otherwise known as Izzy Stradin. Okay. Yeah. 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 So now. Adler was admitted to rehab clinic for um, an increase in drug problem. Okay. Um, and he was replaced by Eagles drummer Don Henley. Now, that name wouldn't mean nothing to you, but he went on to be quite a successful soloist as well. And the Eagles were big in the 70s. Heard of the Eagles. So he performed with the group at the 1989 American Music Awards. Okay. Now, by the following July, Adler was also fired from the oh, band for his continued substance abuse. Um, and he was replaced by the Colts, Matt Sorram. OK, so we've now got yet another drummer. Yeah. So we had Rob Gardner. Then we had Steve Adler. And now we've got Matt Sorram. Mm -hmm. um, now, 
Axel Rose has stated that he was influenced by Queen. Okay. ACDC. Right. Aerosmith. Hmm. And the Rolling Stones. Now, bear okay. in mind, Aerosmith were also influenced they by were like, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. You can see that the the um, influence or the legacy that the Rolling Stones have had quite on quite a on big rock. effect on American rock bands. Yeah. So. I mean, in, you would, because they're still going as well. So yeah, they yeah. are like the up there people yeah. of rock, aren't they? In 1988, their second album, Lies, was released and has since sold over 10 million copies worldwide. Okay. However, it's also their shortest timed album at just 33 minutes. Oh, so it's not got much on it. No, and it's the last album to feature Steve Adler. Oh. So there you have it. Um. And then used to love her was perceived to be um, misogynistic, uh, which is a hatred of contempt or prejudice, prejudice against women of form of sex as a form of sexism. Oh, oh, I'm not liking this guy at all. So, um, so yeah. So in 1991, Stradin. Izzy Stradin abruptly left the band due to the air of chaos which he said surrounded the band and he was replaced by Gilby Clark. However, in 1993, Clark was fired following the conclusion of a two-year-long tour and with the band about to start recording a new album um, and he was replaced by Rose's childhood friend, Paul Tobias. Um, now, Clark was reportedly fired by Axl Rose without consent of the other band members. Oh, so there was obviously a divide in... Yeah, so we already know that. there is from what Stradin has said. Yeah. Bear in mind, Stradin has been with Rose since Hollywood Rose. He, he was yeah, one of those... Yeah, since the beginning, really, yeah. Yeah. He then sacked Gilby Clark, who'd replaced him, and replaced him with a, a childhood friend. Now, this has then led to um, Slash objecting. Now, bear in mind, Slash is now the, the other remaining member from Hollywood oh, Rose. Yeah. With, is, so Izzy Stradin's already gone. We've already, yeah. obviously, we've got Axel Rose. And now Slash is now unhappy because Gilby Clark, who'd come in and replaced Stradin, has now been fired for a friend of um rose so um slash objected to the addition of tobias um leading to slash focusing on his side project slash's snake pit a super group consisting of jellyfish guitarists eric dover alice in chains bassist mike inez and fellow guns and roses member Members, drummer Matt Sorum, who was originally, as I said, in the cult, and guitarist Gilby Clark, who, funny enough, is the person who's just been sacked for Tobias. So it's not surprising that Slash is against is against that because he actually obviously gets on well with Gilby Clark. So then in October 1996, so what, three years later, 
uh, Slash left Guns N' Roses himself due to various differences. Um, he was soon followed by Matt Sorum, who was obviously in the uh, side project along with Gilby Clark, um, mm. Slash's snake pit. Um, and he, so Matt Sorum was fired in April 1997 after an argument with Rose R over Paul Tobias. So this Paul Tobias has, Axel Rose has brought him in and he's actually caused more disruption to the band than probably since the early years when the LA Guns trio left. Mm. So he's now, Axel Rose is now the only um, member of the band still remaining from the Guns N' Roses original lineup of which was formed from Axel uh, Hollywood Rose and the LA Guns. Okay. So we God, know there's that a lot the, of politics with this band. So yeah, it? so the LA Guns trio have already they've long gone. Yeah. And now the Hollywood Rose trio is now just Axel Rose as Izzy Stradin abruptly left. Yeah, yeah. And now Slash has also been has left as well. Yeah. So so yeah, they had twelve top ten singles over here. Okay. They had six top ten albums. So yeah. their albums were 1987's Appetite for Destruction that got to number five. Mm -hmm. 1991 Use Your Illusion got to number one in the album chart. Oh wow! Okay. 1991 Use Your Illusion number one. Oh, so another number one. So they had a Use Your Illusion number two. That got to number right. one, and Usual right. Illusion number part one, whatever you want to say. Yeah, that yeah, got to yeah. Number two. Okay. Then nineteen ninety three, the Spaghetti Incident, that got to number two. Um, and then you Ooh, had the yeah. Greatest Hits compilation in two thousand and four, got to number one, and in two thousand and eight. Wow. Um, so, which is a completely new lineup, which obviously I haven't gone into because mm. we've gone out of the nine, obviously out of yeah, the 80s, out. Yeah. Uh, Chinese Democracy got to number two. Wow, so they've done well with their, like when they've hit with their albums, they've hit big. Yeah. Now, yeah. bearing in mind Lies, which um, was their big breakthrough album in the US, if mm. you remember what I said. Um, yeah. I'm just quickly looking back to see where we got to. And uh, just uh, the second album, Lies, um, sold over 10 million copies. I don't actually know where it got That's to. Where it got but to yeah. Over here, it got to number 22. Okay. So it probably did well over there anyway. Yeah. Well, That's not as high hitting as the others over here. So it got to number two in the US. Okay. That's fair enough. However, Appetite for Destruction um, got to number one in the US, number five over here, which was their first. Yeah, but that's still not album. bad, is it? Five over here. Yeah. So regarding their actual songs, mm -hmm. 1987, Welcome to the Jungle mm -hmm. got to number 67. Yeah, didn't enjoy it. Just noise. Long intro. Very instrumental. Weren't a big fan. Okay. It was actually re-released in 1988 with Night Train on a... So, I don't know how... It it must have been like a double A-side. Yeah, because Night Train's quite a while after. Well, not quite. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, 
it's it's a weird one. So so let's just concentrate on Welcome to the Jungle first. So the yeah. re-release as a double A with Night Train that got re- released in 1988 and that got to number 24. Okay, so they did better. So then but that must be off the back of Night Train. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Um, so Sweet Child of Mine. Yeah. Got to number 24. Okay. Well, I recognize that one. Well, it's in America, that got to number one. Okay. I'm not surprised. It is a good dog. It's like got. I don't know. There's just something about it. It's just very. It's like a fun song. I don't know. I can't explain it. But it's a. It's just a good one, and everyone knows it. I'd say. Okay, so then we go on to Paradise City, and that got to number six in 1989. Not too bad. I like that one. It's another one that I recognise though. It's just a feel good and upbeat, and I really like how they sing it. Like in yeah. a chanty way, I don't know. It, yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. But well, it got to number four in the US in the hot bit in the okay. top 100. That's one that I said might be a number one, so it's still a high chart topper. Yeah, they, they keep re releasing things. So 1989, okay. Sweet Child of Mine got re released, right? And this time it got to number six. So it did worse, yeah, it got to number four, didn't it? Did yeah, well. 24. Not that number much. Six. Oh, we got to number 24. Yeah, number 24. I number thought you said number four. Number four in the U.S. Number one in the U.S. Number 24 over here. They re-released right. it after Paradise City had got into the top 10. Ah, oh, so it did much Child of Mine then got to number six itself. Right. Okay, yes, I'm with you. Uh, Patience, 1989 also. So 1989 was obviously a big year for Guns and Moses over here. Apparently so. Um, Paradise got to, uh, sorry, Patience got to number 10. Okay. It's very calm. I don't like the vocals. There's just not much body to it. There's not much about it. Could be a background song for me. Uh-huh. Well, that got to number four in the US um, and was actually their biggest hit in the US. Well, it would be a long Oh, with well, outside of Sweet Child of Mine. And yeah. with Paradise City, because Paradise City got to number four. Sorry, it? that was number five in the US. Oh, okay. And Welcome to the Jungle was number seven in the US. Right, okay, I'm with you. Which then leads me back to Night Train. Now, bear in mind, it's already been, it's already been released here as a double A for the re-release of Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, before um, it's actually released. Number 24. Mm-hmm. On its own, on the back yeah. of Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City, and Patience, which all got into the top 10, yeah. uh, Night Train got to number 17 in 1989. I didn't like it. The vocals are drowned out by the instruments too much. It's just too shouty on the chorus as well. It just, it just didn't have anything that I would like. Okay. 1991, we're going into now. You mm-hmm. could be mine. Mm-hmm. Number three. Okay, that was more upbeat, but there's some instrument in there. And I don't know if it's like an electric guitar. I'm not sure, but it hurt my ears. It was just a bit too much. Like they needed to tone it down a bit, I think. Okay. Live and Let Die, 1991, got to number five. This is probably my favourite song of the whole week. I really like this song. 
like there are some guitar solos in there but they're not long they kind of do a little bit and straight back into the singing it, they've got passion in it they've got power you can sing along to it i don't know it's just a good song it's an all-rounder for me it's just not too much for a rock song so now we're going into 1992 november rain that got to number four it's a very calming song it's not a ballad it's more of just a love song so it's weird for a rock to have this type of song okay. also you've not said about don't cry oh I missed that out 1991 yeah. don't cry number eight. okay i mean it's not like it was a great song for me <laughs> it was only a bit of a background song but i didn't want it to be missed out. okay 1992 knocking on heaven's door number two I don't like it. It's a bit depressing. Really? It's a bit depressing. Really? Yeah. I didn't uh, like it. Not, not, no, it's not for me. Probably the song there, well, obviously over here, because it was such a big, no. big anthem. No. Knock, knock, no. knocking on heaven's door. No? No, nah, weren't for me. No. Not at all. Well, there I we wouldn't go. have known that it was a big song either. Like, yeah nope moving on wow. <laughs> moving on to 1992 yesterday's yeah number eight see that's a nice one it's got a good beat although it does sound like a change in the vocals it just sounds like an old man singing i can't explain it but it's like he changed something but i like it it's got it you know it's it sounds good okay 1993 civil war just outside the top 10 so they their run has ended from you could be mine at number three one two three four five six songs all in in the mm. top 10 and then civil war 1993 number 11 oh so it's not that bad but i'm not surprised it starts off like a nice song and then it goes into screamo and screamo is just not good at all then 1993, Ain't It Fun, number nine. So they're back in the top ten. See, this was mostly instrumental, not a fan. And also, I wanted to know, has this song got anything to do with Clockwork Orange, like the film? Because in the video, it starts off with a Clockwork Orange clip. Doesn't say it was. Doesn't mention it in um, around it. Oh, mind you, it's a song that was covered by... That it was a cover. Oh, it was okay. Originally so... by Dead Boys. Okay. A punk rock band in from 1978. Guns N' Roses wow. covered it. Mm. And um, yeah, so no, it doesn't say, but the original may well have been. Who knows? But um, yeah, it was. Um, it was a cover. Okay. It was from, uh, well, actually, The Spaghetti Incident was a cover album. Oh, okay. So any, anything that came off The Spaghetti Incident al um, album was a cover mm -hmm. anyway that they'd done, uh, which was wow. Ain't It Fun and Since I Don't Have You. Mm -hmm. The next one we're about to talk to from 1994 that got to number 10. Oh, okay. It's not bad going. Um, so it's a song by the, originally one. by the Skyliners from mm -hmm. 1958. 
Oh, so that's a way you'd have said that it's a cover up building. I didn't like the singing in this. It has got a nice beat to it, though, but I just didn't enjoy the singing at all. Okay. 1995, Sympathy for the Devil, number nine. Too much for me. They went a bit heavy metal. Which is a surprise that they're still getting in the top ten. Yeah, it's gone very dark, and they're getting too on the dark side of rock for me. Okay. And then lastly, in 2008, Chinese Democracy got to number 27. Same with this one. They went too far. Yeah. I and needed. obviously that's shown with their um, charting position. Mm-hmm. Okay. Swiftly moving on to Heart. Yes. What did you think about them? Well, there's women in the band. There is indeed. So I didn't know whether they were a duo. I don't know whether they're together, you know, the two women. What, together? Yeah. I don't know why I got that feeling. I feel like, I don't know. Some of the videos, it just, they were giving me that vibe, but I'm not sure. Um, she looks like she uses Cher as an inspiration for her style and her hair. Videos don't give that much away. Um, there's nothing amazing, some of a little story, but nothing really stands out. And what I like is it's a, a lot less of a chaotic with the music compared to the others it's more stripped back singing as a main focus so for the genre i feel like it's i don't know if this is a genre but like pop rock some sort of it felt like it was more poppy but the instruments still point at rock if that makes sense so yeah but you know i didn't have that many songs for them um but it was nice to see women in rock i feel like we don't get many women in rock so yeah Okay, so Heart were Anne Wilson on vocals, mm-hmm. Nancy Wilson oh. on guitars. So you might be right, they're married. Oh, they're married? You might be right. Danny Kamasi on drums, Mark Andes on bass, and Howard Lease on keyboards. Any idea where they were from? Oh, no idea. So they were formed in 1967. Oh, wow. In Seattle, Washington. Okay, so America. I feel like I should just go for America with rock bands. don't have many rock bands, really. They were a rock, hard rock, pop rock band. Oh, so pop rock is a thing. I wouldn't say hard rock, though. No. Problem is, you don't know what they started off as. No, that is true. Bear in mind, 1967. Yeah. So they had many lineups, as you can probably imagine, as they've been formed for so long. Yeah. Um, So since the band's formation, including Mike Inez um, of Alice in Chains and Slash's Snake Pit, who we've already mentioned. Yeah. And Gilby Clark of Guns N' Roses, who got sacked oh, and led to yeah, the, yeah. the walkout of Slash. And he yeah. was also in Slash's Snake Pit. So there yeah. is a big um, crossover, between, crossover between Slash's Snake Pit, which was an offshoot of Guns N' Roses and mm-hmm. Heart. Yeah. So um, 
So the band was actually formed by Roger Fisher, a guitarist, Steve mm -hmm. Fosson, bass, Gary Ziegleman on vocals, James Sorello on guitar, Ron Rudge on drums, and Ken Hansen on percussion. So right. Anne joined the band following a relationship with Michael Fisher, the band's manager Ooh. and Roger's brother. Right. Roger would go on to have a relationship with Anne's sister, Nancy, who then also joined the band. So okay. there you go. They are siblings. Okay. We'll just go back and pretend that I didn't say that it looked like they were something in the video. Maybe they just really get on. <laughs> so... Both relationships ended in 1979. So the Fishers brothers and the Nance, the mm. Wilson sisters, they, yeah. their, their relationship finished. Yeah, right. And it's the sisters that are now the only members still in the band from the early lineup. As oh, Gary okay. Zilgerman left in 1971 to be replaced by Anne on vocals. Mm -hmm. James. Sorello left in 1971 to be replaced by Nancy on guitar, although she didn't officially join the band until 1973. Ron Rudge and Ken Hansen also both left in 1971. Roger Fisher left in 1980. And Steve Fossen was the last remaining original member, and he left in 1982. Okay. So Howard Lease. He is the longest other member of the of the present band. He joined in 1975, um, and he was with the band until 1998. Mm -hmm. okay. So the band was a commercial, or got commercial success in 75-76, when debut album Dreamboat Annie sold 30,000 copies in Canada, within its first few months. Okay. Uh, this led to them picking up a opening support of Rod Stewart after his original support act cancelled and Hart were offered the slot literally the day before the concert. Oh. So that helps them, but that they helped have much them. time to prepare. So their singles Crazy On You and Magic Man both charted in the Billboard Hot 100 at number 35 and number 9, respectively, with the album eventually selling over 1 million copies, all on the back of them supporting Rod Stewart. Oh, wow. Well, so I'd say on the back of it, but that obviously helped. It, yeah, definitely. You don't know where they would have been without that. So in 1977... Uh, Mushroom Records ran a full-page ad, which was their record produced their 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 record deal, um, right. showing Anne and Nancy, Nancy bare-shouldered, with the suggestive caption "It was only our first time," which was a nod towards their album, which had obviously you know made mm. made them big, selling over one million copies. So what they're saying is, and this just imagine what more we can do. This was just our first Yeah, this is our first one. It was very um seductive and with that suggestive caption, not necessarily oh, much, isn't it? So yeah. However, the sisters cited this as their reason for leaving Mushroom Records. 
Okay. And they joined CBS subsidiary Portrait Records. Uh, this resulted in a prolonged legal battle with eventually a Seattle court forcing Mushroom Records to recall their second album, Magazine, so as Hart could remix it and add new vocals. Okay. So what happened is, obviously, they'd done their first album. It done well. Mushroom Records, in promoting their second album, Magazine, had this suggestive ad. They Mm -hmm. didn't like it. They left. So I'm guessing something went on behind the scenes anyway for CBS and Portrait Records. Mushroom obviously weren't happy. They still released the album. They wanted to cash in. Yeah. And it went to to legal, went to a court, and they were told to withdraw the album. So while this was all going on, obviously, with their new record deal, Portrait Records, they they had um, done a new album. They released a new album in 1977 while all that was going on, uh, Mm -hmm. which was called Little Queen which became Hart's second million pound selling. Okay. And it featured the hit Barracuda, which got to number 11 on the Hot 100 chart. And then they re-released Magazine, which was actually their second album, but ended up being their third album. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Oh, yeah, 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 because of the whole... Yeah, that reached number 17 on the Hot 200. And achieved mm-hmm. platinum status and saw the single Heartless reach number 24 in the Hot 100. So as far as their albums go, they recorded Annie's or Dreamboat Annie first. Then they mm-hmm. recorded Magazine and then they yeah. recorded Little Queen. However, they, they fell out with the record producers that they or the record label that they'd made Magazine or recorded Magazine with. Yeah. So. Yeah. Even though it still got re-released, it got re-released. Obviously, they weren't happy with it because it wasn't finalised, but they Mushroom Mushrooms yeah. wanted to get it out. They wanted to get the money, really, didn't they? Um, they so they then had to recall it. Little yeah. Queen, although it was recorded as their third album, it got had been released as their second. And then Magazine, yeah. which had been recorded already, was then remixed and, you know, obviously f- mm. made a little bit better. And then that was re-released yeah, as their I'm third gonna... album. Mm-hmm. So then in 1978, their fourth album. So they're getting through the albums quite quick. Here. Yeah. Quite, yeah. Uh, not even in the and, 80s yet. Yeah. So Dog and Butterfly, that peaked at, also at number 17. Uh, the same as magazine on the hot 200 albums with single straight on peaking at number 15 in the hot 100 chart. Right. Okay. So then we come to 1979 and as we've already said, the, the Wilson Fisher relationship ended as in Nancy Wilson and Roger Fisher relationship ended and Roger Fisher was voted out of the band. Bear in mind, he was an original founding member. Um, they obviously felt it was easier to get a guitarist than it was to get a vocalist. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he was voted out of the band by the other members, and his brother Michael, the band's manager, he also left within a month after his relationship with Nancy ended. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that they were all together. Yeah. It's very Abba-like in that sense. 
It is, isn't it? So then their album, Beebin Strange, was released in 1980, and it became the band's third top 10 album, peaking at number five in the Hot 200 album chart. And that saw single Even It Up reach number 33 in the Hot 100 chart. Okay. So Heart were the first band to appear at a sold-out concert headlined by Queen at the UK or England's Elland Road in Leeds. So the football stadium, Elland Road. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were the, the support act for Queen, in a sense. So Queen were the headline band and Heart were the first to, to come on. The warm-up. Yeah. Mm. And on the back of that, their next album, Private Audition, um, from 1982, with single Private Stranger, a nod to the band's new sound, moving towards a more power ballad. By the end of the recording, Fosen was fired from the band. So he is now the last remaining original member. Right. So the band then left Portrait Records following the poor sales of the albums private audition and passionate works in 1983 and they signed for capital records and immediately saw success as self-titled album heart in 1985 sold over 5 million copies and reached number one on the hot 200 album chart right so they had from that album they had four top 10 hits with what about love getting to number 10 Never getting to number 14. These Dreams getting to number one on the US billboard and mm-hmm. nothing at all getting to number 10 as well. Then in 2011, Hart were nominated for the 2012 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Of course. Inductees. However, they were unsuccessful. Okay. Do you know, I'm surprised we've not had the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame come up more often during this episode. Oh, really? We have only had it once before now. Yeah. However, they were nominated again a year later in 2012 for the 2013 inductees. And this time they were successful. And they were eventually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2013. And their Hall of Fame page describes the Wilson sisters as the first women to front a hard rock band and are pioneers for inspiring women to pick up an electric guitar or start a band. And I wonder if that's a nod to inspiration. Oh, yeah, maybe. Who were mentioned on the current Commonwealth Games because they're from Birmingham and they played out a highlight show with their song. Oh, that's quite good, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a That's a nice tribute. Yeah. Yeah. So the band had three top 10 singles in the UK of and two top 10 albums. Uh, 1987's Bad Animals got to number seven and 1990's Brigade got to number three. Okay. So that's not so, bad. No, it's not. So we come to their disco discography. Discography. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> so Magic Man. No, so okay. Yeah. Magic Man was the first one. Yeah. Oh. 
see last when i gave you these i couldn't get onto my usual site right and what i'm finding from the ones previous is when i'm coming to go through them mm. it's totally different to what you've given rest. yeah so i need to go back now to the other one because it starts with these dreams not magic man oh that's like my fourth one exactly so magic man wasn't released in the uk however as i've already mentioned oh. number nine in the us yeah well i like it had a good change in tempo that one but it just had too many solo in it uh -huh. now i then gave you what about love Mm -hmm. which is very weird because i can't even find that anywhere to even say oh. oh there it is no there it is what was about love that was from 1985 right and it got to number 14 in the uk okay well that was my favorite it's an actual song shows the talent of the vocals it's just simple and raw that one so i enjoyed that it was different from the week really for having all the rock yeah 1985 also never got to number eight okay i think that was nearly a favorite it's catchy and gets you tapping along to it it's got i don't know a bit more rhythm in it 1986 these dreams got to number eight okay that's a calming sing-along it's got a strong chorus that chorus was the highlight of that one. Uh -huh. Nothing at all got to number 38 in 1986. Okay, yeah, this is one of my least favourites. It's just the same all the way through. And it's a bit fast-paced as well, so you can't really know what they're singing, what they're singing about. And like I said, the beat doesn't change throughout. Okay. Then we have Alone. So, like these dreams... It's also got to number one in the US. Mm -hmm. However, in the UK, it only got to number three. Okay. I recognise this one, but not the whole song, just the chorus. It's oh. quite a bit of a power ballad, isn't it? Yeah. It, it wasn't written by... Um, it was... No, it was, well, it looks like it was a, a cover, actually. It was originally from 1983 by I-10. Um, and it was written by Billy Steinberg and Tom Kelly. So it's a cover. Right. So who will you run to? That got to number 30 in 1987. Okay. You can't really understand what they're saying. So it's a bit of a eh song. Okay. Also still in, nine, in 1987, There's the Girl got to number 34. Okay, again, it stays the same tempo throughout. They've kind of lost their beat in these ones. Um, it's a nice soft sound, though. It's not too in your face. 1988, All I Want to Do is Make Love to You. Got to number two in the US. Yeah. Got to number eight over here. Okay, it's got a nice upbeat tempo. It's a love song, I want to say. It's just got a really good sound to it. It was a bit of a change, so it was nice. And then we go to 1993, Will You Be There in the Morning? 
got to number 19. Okay, this one just gives me ABBA vibes. I don't know why. It's that it, like their pop is coming out a bit more with that. I mean, I know it's like the last one that I had, but it was a bit more poppy compared to rock. Okay, so that is heart. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Def Leopard, then. So, what did you mm-hmm. think of Def Leopard? A bit of weirdness came through with these. Like their songs aren't always about something. Um, like that, the one about animal. Like, well, the one called animal. The lyrics are just a bit weird. Like talking about being. I don't want to name animals in case they're not in it. But it's like talking about different animals. It just got a bit weird, and I was like, okay, enough now. Yeah. Um, the music in the background gets a bit loud, so it can sometimes overtake their vocals. But also about vocals, they cha- I feel like they change halfway through. So I don't know if the, the lineup changes, but I get you'll tell me that anyway. But I just, something changed in the vocals. Um, I can't remember what song it was. I think it was like around love bites it changed a bit um and there's such there is a large number of songs it was hard to tell them all apart so and it was like hard to think of different things about the songs there's so many and they do sound similar um might be further down that it changed sound or maybe it changed sound a couple of times um because i've not written the exact song that i thought changed in vocals um but yeah, I, me personally, I prefer their later stuff that I got given. And just looking at them, you know, they've got their volumized hair, oversized clothing. Obviously, there's a lot of live performances. Um, Let's Get Rocked plays around with graphics in the video. So that was nice to see that the videos have moved a bit. Um, and yeah, you can see them. You can definitely see these ones age compared to the, the others. Uh-huh. Because their hair becomes more tamed, like they cut it a bit, not like short, but, you know, shorter. Um, It's not a perm as such. And you can see them age. Like, Can I just ask, did you notice anything with the drummer? Oh, no. When it's live performances, I don't tend to focus because I'm like, okay, there's not much need to comment on here. Okay. We'll go into that in a bit more detail. Okay, so meant to know him. Def Leopard. Oh, where where do you think they're from? Oh God. Oh, I'm gonna have to say America, but who knows? Okay. Who knows? Def Leopard. Oh, they're still around. I hasten just to let you know as well. So Def Leopard are Joe Elliott on vocals, Rick Savage on bass, Rick Allen on drums, Steve Clark guitar. Pete Willis guitar, although Willis left in 1982 um, Mm -hmm. to be um, replaced by Phil Cohen on guitar. And the original drummer, Tony Kenning, he left in 1978. Literally, as you'll find out, just a year after they'd formed, because they were formed in 1977 in Sheffield, England. Oh, okay. They're a British band. All right. And they are classed as glam metal, hard rock, arena rock and pop rock okay i could see that like a, like in the songs you know there's a bit of a mix but most of them do sound similar Not gonna so lie. the band originally was formed by rick savage tony kenning and pete willis with it being called atomic mass right 
Joe Elliott originally auditioned to be their guitar player. However, it was decided he was best suited to be the lead vocalist. Now, I don't know whether they were saying that he was a really good singer or a really mm. crap guitar player. I'm not sure how mm. that was. Which way they were going with it. Was going, but, yeah, he then, that's how he became their, their, their singer. Mm -hmm. um, so it was Elliot who proposed the name Def Leopard after designing band posters. So I'm guessing all he could draw was a leopard. Don't know. Maybe. Maybe. And maybe it had no ears. And it was Kenning, the the um original drummer, who um suggested the misspelling to make them oh. seem less like that of a punk band. So by having the by spelling F D E F rather than D A D E A T H and yeah. Leopard with two P's instead of an O. Um yeah. they uh that means they're not a punk band, they're a rock band. Okay. So I don't know who what, knows what, what, what but they obviously all agreed with him because Def Leopard are now spelt as D E Leopard. Yeah. So Def Leopard's debut album On Through the Night was released in March nineteen eighty. Um, and charted yeah. at number 15 in the UK album chart. However, okay. it got panned because critics felt uh, not, not great, not great write-ups. Right, okay. So, okay yeah, yeah. As you'll find out. So critics felt that the band was trying too hard to appeal to the American market. Bear in mind, obviously, we know that America's the place to, if you're going to make it big, get to America, because obviously your yeah. sales are going to go through the roof. Yeah. And um, they obviously were influenced by a lot of the American hard rocker bands, I mm -hmm. suppose, because we didn't really have that many over this way. Yeah. Um, by recording songs like Hello America. So they had a song on the album called Hello America. Which right. meant that they were trying to obviously, you know, or they're in their way. Get in touch um, with them. They were also touring more in the US, including supporting ACDC. Oh. And um, it was this critics' um, backlash that um, saw a performance at Reading Festival um, with the band being pelted with beer cans filled with urine. Um, awful. Yeah. Now, Elliot disputes that the incident was due to a story in Sounds magazine, a music paper, titled Has the Leopard Changed Its Spots? Which mm -hmm. accused the band of selling out to America, saying the me, and he then says, the media exaggerated the event as all of the bands that day experienced abuse from the crowd. Oh, so it's just, only yeah. reported about Def Leppard and as if, as you know, like backing up. Do you the think that's because, yeah, who were saying that they were, you know, edging their their, their music towards an American audience? And Do you think it was their like fans also agreed with us? I don't know because, yeah, they were obviously different at the time as far as England, as the you mm. know, the UK went. Um, but yeah, so, um. That that's what the uh, the band are saying. Whether that's sure or not, we we don't know because it wasn't reported that way. 
Um, so although by now the band had caught the attention of ACDC producer Robert Mutt Lang, who agreed to work on their second album, High and Dry, and it was after this album's release that the band then supported Ozzy Osbourne at Blackpool, who had obviously also made it big in America himself with um, his band, whose Black name Sabbath. I've completely wow. forgotten. Black Sabbath. Yeah. Um, in July 1982, Pete Willis was fired for um, excessive alcohol consumption, Ooh. which is quite ironic because rock bands are known for drug take in and alcohol and yet this in this episode we're finding more members being sacked for drug taking and alcohol they want to be more innocent was was the fact with um rock bands but there we go um now here's what i was alluding to in 19 december 1984 drummer rick allen was involved in a car accident where he crashed into a stone wall after passing another car at high speed. He then lost control. His girlfriend was in the car at the time as well. Um, His left arm was severed in the accident. And although doctors initially reattached his arm, it was later amputated due to an infection. Okay. Rick Allen was committed to continue as the band's drummer with the other members supporting him. And he worked with Simmons, an electric drum manufacturer, to design a custom built electronic drum kit. Now, in bear in mind, this happened in December 1984. In mm-hmm. August 1986, Mutt Lang, their manager, record producer, mm-hmm. um, he brought in Jeff Rich. Um, to play alongside Alan on drums during a mini tour of Ireland. However, when Rich didn't turn up, or he turned up late, um, he and the band realised that Alan could drum alone with his comeback sealed at the 1986 Monsters of Rock Festival in England with an emotionally charged ovation after his introduction by joe elliott so he now plays the drums one-handed that's a talent that isn't it yep wow that's a talent so it is an electric and that's also that's pers- he- yeah but he can do it that's yeah. perseverance and not letting whatever yeah. like what happened to him get in the way and um as i say rather than sacking him they brought someone else in not not you know, it could have under, well, undermined him. And it just happened that this guy was late once and Rick Allen still went and played. And even the person who was was helping him obviously agreed that he's... He's absolutely fine. Yeah. Wow. That is that is talent. Yeah. So, well, I can say. so you need to look him up. He is, what, he is renowned because he's obviously a one-armed drummer. Um, so following the success of the fourth album, Hysteria, Hysteria, sorry, along yeah. with its single Animal, which saw the band nominated for a Brit Award in 1988 for Best British Group. I mean, they didn't win, but they were nominated. Mm-hmm. So Hysteria is one of a handful of albums to have seven singles chart on the US Hot 100 chart. Anyone know a British band 
This yeah. one album had seven singles, all chart in the US Billboard 100. So, mm. Woman got number 80. Animal got to number 19. Mm-hmm. Hysteria got to number 10. Pour Some Sugar On Me got to number two. Love Bites got to number one. Mm-hmm. Armageddon It got to number three. And Rocket got to number 12. Right. So apart from Woman, the songs also made the top 25 in the UK. Yeah. Um, while Hysteria, the album, remained in the charts for three years and has sold over 25 million copies. Oh, they're bigger than I thought they were. So, yeah. So, in night, well, it's mainly down to this one album. Um, oh. In 1989, Def Leppard won the favorite heavy metal hard rock album at the American Music Awards. Mm-hmm. And were once again nominated for Best British Group at the Brit Awards, although yet again they didn't win. However, on this occasion, they did perform um, at the awards playing Pour Some Sugar on Me. Mm-hmm. So, following the success of Hysteria, the band quickly set out to work on their fifth album, not mm-hmm. wanting another lengthy gap. However, guitarist mm-hmm. Steve Clark. Um, his alcoholism had worsened to the point he was in and out of rehab, um, which um, saw recording sessions suffering from the distraction. So Clark was granted a six-month leave of absence from the band. Hey, Um, they said they didn't just kick him out. Well, unfortunately, on the 8th of January 1991, Clark died. Um, from a mix of prescription drugs and alcohol. Uh, The remaining band members decided to carry on recording the album with Cohen, the other guitarist, mimicking Clark's style on his intended guitar parts. Right, okay. So they just managed to limp along. Yeah, yeah, they, they just changed his guitar Cohen, yeah. the other guitarist, took over his guitar parts, but tried to yeah. do it in his style. His style, yeah. So on October the 9th, 2018, Def Leppard received an induction nomination from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And on the 13th of December, 2018, Def Leppard were named in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's class of 2019. Yes, that's quite recent. So, yeah. So, um, current members, Joe Elliott, Rick Savage, Rick Allen, Phil Cohen, and Vivian Campbell, who had now been bought, by now had been bought in to replace Steve Clark, mm-hmm. um, along with past members Pete Willis and Steve Clark, were inducted into the Hall of Fame on the 29th of March, 2019, by... Okay. Queen guitarist Brian oh. May, who said they were a magnificent rock group in the classic tradition of what a rock group really is. Okay, now, bear in mind they're from England, they 
yeah. they've done something that Robbie Williams hasn't done. They broke America. Yeah. yeah. And they were even named America's um favorite heavy metal hard rock album. Really? As in, in yeah, I made, I read it. In nineteen eighty nine, Def Leppard won favorite heavy metal hard rock album for Hysteria at the American Music Awards, which is the equivalent of the Brit Awards. So they really did break America. So when you think at the beginning, when they were little known, they were obviously wanted to get into America. They didn't say at yeah. the time, but obviously journalists picked up on it. They yeah. hadn't had that, that incident at the Reading Festival where they were pelted with beer cans full of urine. But they mm. didn't stop them, and they eventually no. did hit. Even with all the ups and downs, they've had a drummer with lose his arm, no arm had, yeah. you know, the guitarist unfortunately die from You've definitely persevered alcohol and drug uh, and um prescribed drugs so um yeah they've come they've definitely been through the mill mm. um so as far as the uk go they had three top 10 singles right bearing in mind they had five big hits just from hysteria in the US. In the, yeah, so they no. were bigger in they were definitely bigger in the US and that's, than they were that's usually not heard of if no. you're from here. And they had nine top ten albums over okay. here. Yeah. So in 1987, Hysteria got to number one. No surprise. Okay. Yeah. 1992, Pyromania got to number one. Oh. 1992, Adrenalize got to number one. You've been out. 1993, Retroactive got to number six. 1995, Vault, the greatest hits between 1980 and 1995, got to number three. 1996, Slang, got to number 15. No, sorry, number five. 2004, Best Of, got to number six. 2008, Songs from the Sparkle Lounge, got to number 10. And 2022, Diamonds, Star, Halos, got to number five. Who's buying these? They're fans. Um, okay. 2022, they're still hitting in the albums chart. Yeah, All right. in the top five. Mad. Okay. Very. Um, yeah. Okay. That's uh so they are probably England's, UK's biggest hard rock band. Mm. So, yeah. When did they hit in the chart? I'm well intrigued. Like, do you know what month it was in 2022? Oh, uh, let me have a look. Um, June. June. Recent. Diamonds or Halos, 9th of June, number five. Yeah, they're not in it. I never look at the charts. But, I mean, this is on Spotify, so I wonder if a Spotify album charts is different. But, like, Fleetwood Mac is still in it. Rumours is number 36 on the album chart on Spotify, this is. There you go. But, yeah. Well, that's uh, a bit bad, isn't it? So they were much better, obviously, as an, you know, an album, which is, you know, you want your albums to do well because that isn't just mm. one song. You know, that is people like your music. Uh, yeah. 
And clearly people like their music because um, their albums were never outside the top 10, even now. Oh, there we go. So on to their singles. Mm -hmm. 1983, Walk of Ages. Number 41, just outside the top 40. Okay. And I don't know what I mean when I say this. But I feel like it's very old school rock. But I don't know what I mean. But there's just something about it that made me be like old school rock. And I think it's just, I don't know, I think I'm comparing it to maybe like the rock and roll that you had back in the day. Yeah, it's talking like Slade. Yeah, I think it reminded me of that. Dire Straits, uh, not Dire um, Status Quo. No? Yeah, yeah. I think it was down that. But just like more focus on like the music, but not loads of solos in a sense. Uh-huh. 1987, Animal, got to number six. Okay, the chorus was the best bit on this one. I've already said that the lyrics are a bit weird when I said that they're a bit of an odd group. Yeah, okay. I'm getting the feeling you don't really like them. Um, 1987, Pour Some Sugar On Me, number 18. Okay, it's just not got much body to that song. There's not much going on. The average. 1987, Hysteria, from the big album, selling album. It's probably their breakthrough. Um, the single got to number 26. Okay, well, it's got a good beat to it. It's slowed down compared to the others that we've had so, so far. They weren't a bad one. Okay, 1988, Armageddon Part 2. Number 20. Okay, it's the most upbeat they had. I would re-listen. Really? Yeah, but it weren't my favourite, but oh. I would re-listen. I liked it. Okay. 1988, Love Bites. Number 11. Mm, this one sounds a bit auto-tuned, you know. Like, it's got, like, pro, like, the vocals just don't sound the same, which is why I thought it changed a bit, but I don't think it was this one. That I really thought they changed. Um, it's just a bit of a slow song as well. Okay. 1989, Rocket, number 15. Okay, catchy chorus, just not much else. The chorus is the bit that saves it. Uh -huh. Fair enough. Move on to 1992 now. Let's get rocked, number two. This is where the voice changed. It got deeper. And yeah. with like this group, um, I, don't, like, I don't know. I was just like, you're not the same as you were before. So voice deepened. And I liked this one. It was more like a chant than a hard rock song. Okay. Um, 1992, Make Love Like a Man, number 12. Uh I thought they were American in this. Oh, <laughs> I wish okay. I scrolled when you asked me where I thought they were from. Um, you can hear, well, I put, you can hear they're American. It's that, like, no, they're not. They're not American. Um, but it's a bit of a boring song. Not going not gonna to lie. Just get straight to the point. Yeah. 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 Okay. No offense. 1992 still. Have you ever needed someone so bad? Number 16. Okay, this was a nice love song. The only thing that it needed was a bit more of an upbeat to it 
you know, like the tempo was pretty much the same. There weren't much of a up or down in it. Uh-huh. 1993, Heaven Is, number 13. Okay, I like this one. It's nice and upbeat. It's got, um, the lyrics are really catchy, so it draw it drawed me in this one. 1993 Tonight, number 34. Okay, the chorus is the best thing about this one. It's more of a power ballad. It's just got that bit more to it, but the chorus really saves it. 1993, Two Steps Behind, number 32. Okay, this one was nice. It, it had an acoustic sound to it, like it, like there was a change in the guitar. It was really nice, like a complete change. Like you wouldn't really put it in this group. It's quite. Oh, there probably was a trip there because it was around obviously 1991, I think it was, wasn't it? I said um, that um, they lost their drummer. Yeah, so, so they've had a, a new. Now the they've drummer. probably got a new drummer in. Um, yeah. Vivian Campbell was born. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he probably played a bit different. Yeah, that might be what that is. Oh. So, Yes. It was, uh, it was nice. 1994 Action, number 14. Okay, it's upbeat, fast-paced. Just it's got the solo guitars in it. Which you don't like. Mm -mm. Okay. 1995, When Love and Hate Collide, number two. This was my favourite. Wow. It's a nice love song. You can't help but sing along and you feel the words. It really grabs your attention. It's a lovely song. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that one. It's my, yeah, my favourite. Well, obviously, um, Everyone else many agreed. people agreed with you because, as I say, no, it was their, that and Let's Get Rocked were their two biggest um, songs. Mm. Um, both obviously um, get into number two. 1996 slang got to number 17. Okay, I just thought they were having a bit of fun with that song. It's just a, it's a bit random. Okay. Still 1996, work it out, number 22. Okay, it's got a nice focus on the vocals. It's nice and calming. Okay. 1996, all I want is everything, number 38. Felt like this one was more meaningful. It oh, just wow. had that something in it. It was nice. Two thousand and three, long, long way to go. Number forty. It's the breakup song. It's very wow. sad. Okay. Mm. But like I said, I prefer their later stuff. Yeah. Lastly, then we move on to Poison. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I thought these would be the worst. Like, I thought these would be, like, down with the worst. But they just like to have fun with their music. I feel like it's a good mix of, like, fun with a bit of rock. They've got their slow ones. They've got their upbeat. I've gone for glam rock. And they just seem weird and wonderful. They play around with makeup. They always look like they're having fun. And they like their top hats. It's like they're, like, a bit of mad hatter. Okay. Uh, yeah, I liked their little style they had. And then towards the end, they moved a bit hippie with like bandanas and whatnot. But yeah, I like their style. So Poison, who are still going. Okay. 
are Brett Michaels on vocals, Ricky Rocket on drums, Bobby Dow on bass, and CC Deville on guitar. Now, their original guitarist, Matt Smith, he left in 1985 to be replaced by C.C. DeVille. So they were formed in 1983 in Mechanicsburg, Pittsburgh, U.S. Okay. And they are a glam metal, hard rock, heavy metal band. Oh, I don't go heavy metal. So Poison were initially called Paris. However, oh. although having a strong local following in Pennsylvania, they saw little opportunity to gain larger success. And a decision was made to move to Los Angeles. Right. So in March 1983, having changed their name to Poison, mm. they headed west to California. Okay. While over there, they were unable to secure a major label recording contract, um, mm -hmm. which meant that Matt Smith, the guitarist, became disillusioned uh, with the band, and he was also about to become a father. So he left the band right. and returned to Pennsylvania. Right. Um, this left the band's future in doubt, as Smith was by far the best musician um, mm -hmm. in the group. And the band, so the band auditioned for a new guitarist. And they managed to narrow it down to two candidates, Slash and C.C. Okay. DeVille. The okay. band knew Slash from his band Hollywood Rose, but the band would were actually preferring a member from the East Coast, which is where they were from. Mm -hmm. So guitarist DeVille, who was from New York, impressed with his playing and image. Right. Um, however, he reportedly dismissed the material written by the band, which he was asked to learn for the audition, um, which upset Michaels and Dow in particular. And they started to dislike the guitarist on a personal level. Ooh. And they had strong misgivings about hiring him. However, ultimately, despite their apprehension, the band hired C.C. DeVille over Slash as saw a hit record or potential in the song that DeVille bought with him to the audition. So he dismissed oh, he the song they wanted and he bought his own, which actually they obviously went, oh, actually. Plus, obviously, he was more in line with them because he was what they wanted as far as their desire to hire a guitarist from the east coast okay now as we know slash went on to then join guns and roses <laughs> so you could yeah. say that he actually probably done better, did better. and did poison really? miss out on mm. something bigger who knows they turned down slash from who went on to go obviously into guns and roses and they mm. Hired C.C. DeVille. Mm. So, unable to sign to a major label, the band signed to a smaller label in an, or a smaller label in Enigma Records in 1986 for just $30,000, which was a fraction of the price similar bands to them were getting from bigger labels or major labels. Right. Okay. So, it just shows how bigger, how, you know, if you can get the right record deal. 
because obviously with a bigger major record label you've got, got more the more commercial them. side mm. exactly you've got the better producers they can yeah. probably afford to get more albums pressed um yeah. better, better um advert or you know it's marketed better so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, however their debut album look what the cats dragged in became a surprise success it spawned three chart hits talk dirty to me i want action and i won't forget her with talk dirty to me peaking at number nine on the billboard hot 100 the album became enigma's biggest selling album in their history when it peaked at number three on the Billboard Hot 200. Now, very much. You just became Enigmas. Did yeah, you mean? Enigmas are the record label. So right, they're a yeah, small yeah, record okay. label. Yeah. So this album became their biggest. Yeah, I'm with you. No, everyone else had turned them down. Enigma said, yeah. well, we'll take a punt, I suppose, is the word. Yeah. And this album, and their this first album. album and it was Enigma's biggest selling album in their history when it peaked at number three. Right, okay. Um, yeah. It was Poison's then second album, Open Up and Say Ah, which then peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 200. Wow. With single Oh Every Rose Has Its Thorn becoming the band's biggest hit when reaching number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Wow! So literally, they haven't even. I thought these were just a small group, <laughs> like just a bunch of nobodies. Not going to lie. So their third album, Flesh and Blood, was released in 1990, and mm. saw the band receive a letter from the Secretary of Defense, Dick Cheney, thanking them for contributing 20,000 CDs to lift the morale of U.S. troops during Desert Storm. I, mean, I don't know how rock lifts the morale, but all right. But you've got to remember that you're talking about a country that's so diverse in its music. That is true. So uh, the album saw singles Unskinny Bop number th get to number three, Something mm. to Believe In get to number four, and Ride the Wind get to number 38 on the US Billboard Hot 100. While Life Goes On got to number 35, uh, while Ballad Something to Believe In, dedicated to the band's security guard and close friend James Kimomeo, who had died. So the album went on to achieve certification of three times platinum okay. in the US and four times platinum in Canada. Mm. The band then made their first appearance in the UK at Donington's Monster of Rock in August 1990, where Whitesnake and Aerosmith headline. Okay. After two years on the road, the band members were at Loggerhead with their fourth album, Swallow This Live, which was a live oh, album recorded it. while they were touring. Mm -hmm. And included a new single, So Tell Me Why, which was to become the last recorded with C.C. DeVille, who oh, okay. departed from the band and after being fired. DeVille was replaced by Richie Cotson, who influenced 
the album, the the fourth studio album, yeah, Native yeah, Tongue, released in nineteen ninety three, and was seen more of blues rock than glam metal. Okay, are these still going? Yes. Okay. Wait a minute. Michaels was then involved in a car accident where oh, he no. lost control of his Ferrari during the recording of their sixth album, Cracker Smile. Um, Michael suffered a broken nose, a broken rib, a broken jaw, broken fingers, um, oh. and he lost four teeth. Yeah. Um, Michael was also involved in a sex tape with, funny enough, Pamela Anderson, who we spoke about with Tommy Smith of the Motley crew. Mm-hmm. Tommy, oh, I can't remember his name now. Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Smith Jones, Tommy. Oh. Anyway, this is now a second. Well, I don't know if this was their first or second, but we know of another one. Which um, his attorney obtained an injunction prohibiting, prohibiting the distribution of that said video. So um, this one didn't really make, obviously it, it was out there because people know about it, but it wasn't yeah. quite as notorious as the one that did then get leaked with, um, as I say, the Motley Cruz, Tommy Lee Jones, Smith Jones, whatever. So then after several years apart, Michaels and DeVille patched up their differences with DeVille rejoining the band in 1996. So as far as over here, they've had three top 20 singles, one top 10 album, which was 1990s Flesh and Blood, which got to number three. Okay, so that's not doing bad over here, is it? No. So, yeah, they were very big in America, as um, you've obviously now realised. Oh, definitely. I thought these were like some small little band. I'm well shocked. I'm surprised they've done this well. I mean, they are Americans, so they're going to be bigger over there, but they're a lot bigger than I thought they were. So, singles. Yeah. 1987, Talk Dirty to Me. Number nine in America. Mm-hmm. Only number 67 over here. Oh, really? Okay, well, it's harsh starting, but it sounds fun. So, yeah. like, the start, you're a bit like, mm, and then you can kind of get into it a bit more. And this is what I mean by I feel like they, there's quite a few times I'm like, I feel like they're just having a bit of fun. Okay. 1988, nothing but a good time. Number six in America. Mm-hmm. Number 35 over here. They're not hitting well over here, are they? This one's very catchy, and it literally sounds like the title suggests. They're just having nothing but a good time. Mm -hmm. 1989, Every Rose Has a Thorn. As I've already said, number one in America on the US Billboard Hot 100. Mm -hmm. Number 13 over here. Ah, So now, I'm going to tell you something. This song was covered. All right. By none other than Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what year and I don't know where it came. I just know that it was covered because I recognised it. Um, and then it got it was confirmed when I was watching a video and Miley Cyrus had came up. I was like, ah, so it was covered by her. So I played that and I recognised it. So I couldn't tell you where it came with her. So I don't, I, I don't know where it came, but I do know it was from... It was from the album I Can't Be, uh, tamed. Can't be tamed in 2010. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I can't tell you where it came. I didn't look that up. But, yeah, yeah it's been covered by her. Um, and 
it's I feel like it's stripped back this one the guitar solo ruins the vibe a bit but I can get past it it was my second favorite of theirs nearly my favorite to the point where I did highlight it as if it was my favorite but then uh, another one came along okay 1989 your mama don't dance number 10 in america okay. number 13 in the uk okay well it you can't help but sing along to this one um it's nice and catchy mm -hmm. 1990 unskinny you bop number three in the us number 15 over here it's it's got too many solos in it compared to singing. That was probably my least favourite of theirs. Okay. okay, still in 1990, Something to Believe in, um, which, as I say, was a ballad which was written in um, memory of their close friend and security guard. Yeah. It got to number four in the US. Got yeah. to number 35 over here. Oh, okay. Well, this one, you can tell that it's meaningful. Like you can hear it in their in their um, vocals and their voices, um, and it's a lot slower than the rest. So it's got that that ballad feeling, but it's not like a power ballad. But it's you know they're singing their hearts out for sure. Okay. <clears throat> Ninety one. So tell me why. Got to. Uh, it, it wasn't well. This is another weird one. So it mm. wasn't released in America, or if it was, it didn't chart. Right. Over here, okay. it got to number 25. Oh, that's not bad, really. But it's more on the heavy side. I do enjoy the chorus, though, but it is more on that heavy side. Uh -huh. uh, 1993, Stand, uh, got to number 50 in the US. Right, okay. Got to number 25 over here. Okay, it's too much of an instrumental for me. Okay. One of them, in it? Yeah. And then lastly, 1993, Until You Suffer Some, Fire and Ice. Um, mm. Again, wasn't charted in the US. <clears throat> Got to number 32 over here. Okay. Well, this was my favourite one. Okay. It was just a really good end to the week. There weren't much I could say about it apart from I really liked it. I love it. Yeah. So it was a nice end. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of the groups. All I need to do now is find out whether you were influenced by late 80s, early 90s, I suppose you could call mm -hmm. it now, rock. So, Europe. Were a hit. Were a hit. Yes. I enjoyed them. It was a nice start to my week. They were very, like, upbeat. Um, they had some really good songs. Okay. Aerosmith. Myth. Mm. Not, not walking not the way me. with Aerosmith. Not not for me, no. Like, but do you know what? The thing is with this week, I like quite a few of the songs, but I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to them as rock really isn't me. Um, but if they were playing somewhere, I would enjoy it and I'd enjoy the vibe they give off. But the reason a lot of them are misses is because, yeah, I like some of the songs, but I wouldn't go out of my way to go and play them. No, no I understand that. As an overall. I know, probably the same. Um, now, Guns N' Roses 
would probably be a lot of people's hit because they were they were probably the biggest band. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you don't even like knocking on heaven's door no. tells me already you're not going to like Guns and Roses. But I'm going to no. ask a question just to <laughs> clarify: Guns and Roses, hit or miss? Miss. <laughs> Again, it's the same. Like, I like some songs better. Get like, what do you think of these? I'm shocked. Do you like some of these songs? Oh yeah, I, I'm. I'm like you. That I wouldn't go and buy an album of theirs because it would be mm. too rocky. But yeah. I'm just shocked you don't like knocking on heaven's door. I think that is a yeah. really good song, you know. And so yeah, very um surprised. But no, there we go. Me. You stick with your was it live and let die? You liked? I'm yes. not sure how that one goes. Oh, it's amazing. Hang on, this so that's a cover. Is it? That's a James Bond film song. It's funny because I was going to say it, but then when you were talking about it, because I honestly thought you'd know, and I thought, oh, obviously it's not what I thought it was. Yeah, but I don't know James Bond, so I wouldn't know. So now I'd, I'd only know if it was covered well, in the no. earth, like if it was recovered, as in like. My side has covered that every rose has its form because she's yeah. recent. I wouldn't know whether these songs are covered because that's going way before you're born. I'm with, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? I'm now having to check, but from what you just sang, that is definitely, was it Wings? I've got a feeling. Um, oh, well. Is it not by... It's not. It's... Are you sure that's just... Yeah. Paul McCartney's done it. Yes. Wings. Yeah, that's what I said, Paul McCartney and Wings. That's the song. I prefer Guns N' Roses version. Wow. So Paul McCartney and Wings covered Guns N' Roses. Yeah, apparently so. Well, there you go. But Guns N' Roses is still a mess. Okay. Well, I've learned something because I did not know that it wasn't Paul McCartney's song. There you go. There we go. No, it says Live and Let Die is the theme song of the 1973 James yeah. Bond film performed yeah. by British American rock band Wings, written by Paul McCartney and his wife Linda. There you McCartney. go. Yeah, and then so Guns N' Roses covered it then. Yeah, but I just looked at the Guns N' Roses and it said that theirs was written by them. It's a produ- uh, producer. They covered it. They did cover it. Right. Okay, but I that like it, and I prefer that cover over Paul McCartney's. Right. Okay. Let's move on to heart. They're also a mess. Not into the women then. Well, they were nearly a hit because I did enjoy it. But then when I weighed it up, I was like, mm, there's t- probably too many that I wouldn't listen to again. Uh-huh. Um, and like I say, if I don't know if I'd go out my way to listen. Whereas like Europe, I think I, I you know, I'd put them on again. Like the songs really spoke to me. That okay. makes it sound really weird, but yeah. Fine. Def Leopard. Yes. I've heard enough of them and all. 
I've had so many songs from them this week. <laughs> da, da, da. That's because they were so big. Not for me. Poison. Hit. Okay. So we've got two hits. You've got two hits, more than what I've Europe got. and Poison. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to know who you got next week? Oh, yes, please. I'm pleased to say it's back to nice pop music. I'll take it. Okay. You may have heard of some of them. Okay, that's good. Okay. So, Ross. Why do I recognise that name? Are they the ones that did the weird? No. No? They're not the ones that did the weird Christmas song, are they? Yes. Uh, yeah. Silent Night. Okay, yeah, okay. Climby Fisher. No, I don't know that one. Then Jericho. No, I don't know that one either. Voice of the Beehive. No. Mental as anything. No. Wax. No. You said that I know some. This is going to be a good week because you're going to be introduced to music that you clearly don't know and you're going to enjoy it. But you said that I might know some. Well, I'm surprised you don't. I don't know any of them. I think I only know Bross because we did the Christmas episode. Bross were 1980s. Take that. Oh. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Okay. We will see. I'll send over the songs. There isn't a lot of songs, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. on that note, I will say goodbye. Enjoy the rest of your day. No more rock. Thank Don't, God. I, I actually think there is no more rock. I hope there's no more rock. Right. I have survived it. Okay. Right, Thank you. And goodbye. Bye, Dad. Bye.